welcome to a bonus episode of The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything, and I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and help inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. We always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. And this month... You get two bonus shows, listeners, because I wanted to tackle the month of romance. It is February, but it's also the month of love for yourself. And as we consider self-love and self-care, it also brings in self-compassion. And I'm excited to introduce you to Natalie Kogan, who is here to walk us through two practices that are great to incorporate, journaling and practicing emotional fitness skills. Natalie is on a mission to help millions of people cultivate their happier skills by making simple, scientifically-backed practices part of their daily life. Natalie has appeared on hundreds of media outlets, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, TEDx Boston, South by Southwest, the Harvard Women's Leadership Conference, and the Dr. Oz Show. And she lives with her family outside of Boston, and you can find more about her and her socials at happier.com. But you recently published the Awesome Human Journal, a toolkit for tough days, the good days, and all the days in between, which is a fantastic resource for those of us looking to incorporate more self-compassion. It's bright yellow with cheerful art. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little more about it and yourself, maybe some about your past and what inspired you into your current work before we get into more about the journal. Sure. Nothing in my past would suggest to me that I would spend my life teaching people how to practice more self-compassion. I came to the U.S. as a refugee from Russia when I was a teenager, and it was a really difficult experience, as you can imagine. We had no money. I didn't speak English. It was hard. And I come from a very loving family, but not a family where we talked about things like self-love or self-compassion or feelings. I'm sure lots of listeners are nodding. My family doesn't have the monopoly on that. And so I began my uh, uh, adult or semi-adult life with this very kind of inner toughness. Life was a struggle and to succeed, I was going to have to really be tough and struggle through it. And that's what I did. And for 20 years, I was an executive in technology and finance, very male-dominated fields and just very tough with myself and struggling a lot because of that. But I thought the way you're supposed to be, you're supposed to, if you're living a meaningful life, you're supposed to suffer because that's what I picked up. And then several years ago, I went through a really severe burnout. I think it was probably even more than that. I It was a breakdown because I was so disconnected from myself and my feelings and just honoring any part of myself as a human being versus an accomplishment machine. And as I was undertaking a very unknown to me journey of how do I feel better? What are things that I can do to feel better? I literally, these were my Google searches at the time. As I undertook this journey and read a lot of research and practiced, tried a lot of things, I didn't just heal myself, but I got to this place where I realized that I can do all the things I want to do and I can be really much better at them, including in my work, if I learn to honor myself as a human being. And I change my life and my career to teach these skills to as many awesome humans as I can connect to. So that's a little bit of my background. So I spend my days practicing and teaching something that was so inaccessible to me, but that's why I'm so excited to share it because I anybody can learn. Self-compassion is a skill we can learn. And this journal came out, I wrote a book two years ago, it's called The Awesome Human Project. And it was all about breaking free from burnout and learning how to struggle less and thrive more. And my work is very practice-based. I'm a giant believer that you feel what you practice. You don't just like 
affirm yourself into loving yourself. That's very hard. The inner habits and stories are too strong. You have to do things that align with this new story. And that's how you learn to do it. And the book did really well, helped a ton of people. But I kept hearing from readers that, well, I loved your book, but I skipped over the practices. And so I wanted to create this journal. It's all new content. There's only a little bit from the book, but as a way to prevent people from skipping practices, because the entire journal is about practicing. And so my vision for this journal is this journal is the journal, the journaling journey you undertake is to learn to become a better friend with yourself, which is why I hand wrote the journal, which was a very difficult undertaking, but I really wanted it to feel like it's a really good friend nudging you and suggesting you things that you should do. And by the time you're done, hopefully you've become that friend with yourself. It is a very friendly format, like the personalization that you put into it comes across. And certainly it was something that stuck out to me that you also did the art for the cover. And it Mm. ultimately brought me to this realization that, you know, for someone who hasn't yet tapped into their happier self, or for what I refer to as their authentic self, you don't, you maybe aren't tapped into that part of yourself that's doing artwork, or in your case, you also do yoga, right? Like, how would you recommend for people on this journey to start that, right? If they're feeling that burnout and that tug of like, I'm just not listening to myself, how do you even get started? It's a really great question. And I just want to um, be really open that my journey wasn't like one day I woke up and I was like, okay, I've always wanted to paint. I'm going to paint. No, I did no such thing. I have always wanted to paint, but I never let myself. My excuse was that it was a waste of time because it didn't help my career or help me be a better mom, but that was not true. The true story, and I'm saying this because this is the source of, for me and my work with people, why we don't allow those parts of ourselves to express themselves, is that I I denied myself joy. I spent a lot of my life just focusing, here's what I should do, and painting just felt this is something I want to do. And I denied that to myself. And so many people, I'm sure listening, I want you to really hear this. In fact, there's a practice in the journal about figuring out where you're denying yourself joy and writing a different story. But for me, the call to create was really strong. I believe every single human has it. And I started to do it very reluctantly after I burnt out because I couldn't work. I couldn't do anything else. So I started to do it in secret in my basement. So I just want to be honest that it wasn't like one day I gave myself permission. It was very slow and tentative. But to if, if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't even know what my thing is. Maybe your thing is not painting. Maybe your thing is something else. What I really encourage you to do is really think about one of my favorite practices is not actually in the journal. So bonus practice, personal practice is do something I call the aliveness audit. So look back at your, I don't know, the last year or the last 10 or your life and jot down anything that comes to mind when you felt like really alive, like that feeling of buzzing aliveness, right? And just make that list. And I promise you, there's something in there that you could then pull the thread of. Maybe it was in a, you were doing some kind of crafting class. Maybe it was even with your kid. Like you took your kid those birthday parties when they're little and you were like, that was me. I would take my daughter to some crafting party and I was the one who wanted to do all the things, right? Maybe for you, it's something else. Maybe it was something in nature. Maybe it was cooking something. Maybe it was another thing, but do this aliveness audit and then pull that thread because it is in our lives of have to and a lot of responsibility and a lot of accomplishment and doing 
I think it's very natural to lose the thread on like what helps me to feel alive, like what brings me joy. So that's an idea for how to pull on that thread a little bit. I love that. And I think that we live in a society that's actually built around keeping that part of us quiet so that we're more productive in the things that don't really bring us joy. And intentionally disconnecting from that is difficult. And I know you have created these practices that can jumpstart that and get us in touch with ourselves, but also with others, community care, all those kinds of things as you call them, five emotional fitness skills. Can you walk us through what each of these are and a little bit about how they help us along that process? Yeah, of course. So the first skill, and this is a gateway skill, and what I mean by that is you can't really do the others unless you do this one, is what I call acceptance. I used to hate the word acceptance. I thought it meant like resignation, everything, whatever happens. It's not that at all. I was ignorant. Acceptance is really about seeing reality clearly as it is, not as your brain has decided it should be or what it's judging about it. Just here's what it is. Here are the facts. And then asking yourself, given how this is, given how I feel, what is one thing I could do to move forward with less struggle? It is probably one of the most powerful skills and the most difficult to learn and practice because the brain is fantastic at not wanting to do that because the brain loves drama and stories and struggle. So, but that's acceptance. And I think it it is a gateway skill because it's both, it allows you to be in the driver's seat of your life. And that's ultimately what can help you live a happier life, a more fulfilling life. You have to be making active choices and that's what acceptance allows you to do. It focuses your attention on things you can control. And then asking, focusing your attention on what I can control and what is something I could do to move forward is incredibly activating. Could is full of possibility. It's full of, oh, I could do this, like I could do this, or I could do this. It is the opposite of, oh, I should do this, or I should have done this, or I'm not good enough at this, or I should have been able to do this already. And so that's acceptance. And again, it's the gateway skill. It's the foundation. The second skill is gratitude, which is simpler, I think, and probably all of us know what that is. I really think of gratitude as being very actively aware of the small positive moments in your day even when life is challenging, because your brain has a negativity bias. The human brain has a negativity bias. It focuses much more on what's wrong. So if you're not actively focusing on what's good in your life, you're letting your brain lie to you. Your brain over-exaggerates all the stressful, the annoying, the difficult. And so I love beginning my day with gratitude. The way you begin your day, it sets your brain on a direction. So it's really important to practice gratitude in the morning. Um, And I love this little practice of I call it my morning gratitude lens. So before I open my computer, I write down three small things I'm grateful for. And it just centers me in that energy of appreciation before the world of news and social media and email takes me away. So I offer that to you. And I love that I do it like it's connected to my opening my computer. It's called habit stacking. So if you don't have an active gratitude practice, it's really powerful to connect it to something you're already doing. So I open my computer every morning. It's a reminder like, oh, wait, hold on. Here's my gratitude practice. The third skill is self-care, which I I feel like I'm on a mission to rebrand self-care. I hate the way we talk about self-care in our society. It's like this carrot you get at the end of doing all the things, of taking care of all the people, accomplishing all the things. And then here's your award. You can have a massage. You can go to the grocery store by yourself without your children. Not (laughs) self-care. Isn't it? Here's your gift. Yay. That is not self-care. 
Self-care, my definition is it's a skill of fueling your mental, emotional, and physical energy. You are a human being. Your energy is your fuel. You need energy to do all the things you need to do, including listening to me right now. If you don't have enough energy, you cannot do the things you want to do or need to do and definitely cannot do them with your full capacity. So think of self-care as a car, right? A car needs fuel to do its job of being a car. When your car is low on gas, you don't sit there and go, well, I don't know if my car deserves more gas. If you do, we need to have a different chat, but I hope you don't, right? You know that you have to go fill up your car. That's the mindset I invite you to have with your self-care. It's just making sure that you have enough fuel. And there are two parts to self-care, actually. It's doing things that fuel your energy, including things that bring you joy and taking rest and going outside and getting enough sleep and all those wonderful things. But it's also doing fewer things that unnecessarily drain your energy, things like negative self-talk. Research shows when you practice negative self-talk, it increases stress, it drains your energy, it reduces motivation. When you talk to yourself in a supportive way, in a compassionate way, it's the opposite. Mindless social media scrolling. I love social media. You'll find me on Instagram and LinkedIn. I love sharing and connecting. It's the mindless part. Like when you've been on there for 45 minutes and you actually have no idea why you've been on there or how long, that is very draining. And so I want you to think of every day, what am I doing to fuel my energy reservoir? And what can I do less that's draining me? Those are really two powerful questions. Intentional kindness is the fourth skill. We're, as human beings, we are, we're not meant to do this lifetime alone. We are meant to be connected and feel connected. We get a lot of deep joy and fulfillment, feeling like we are needed and not alone. And so I invite you to think of kindness as a practice, not random acts of kindness, but intentional daily acts of kindness. When you do something kind, like really small, like enthusiastically say hello to someone or hold the door or get a snack for a colleague or listen to someone really attentively, the best, the first beneficiary is you. You feel really good and so does the other person. So kindness is a really important daily practice to fuel your being, your happiness, your joy. And the final is what I call the bigger why, and that's really feeling a sense of purpose in your life. I think it's not possible to truly be happy if you don't feel like your life has purpose. And we tend to look for purpose somewhere out there, but I actually tell you it's on your to-do list because you derive a sense of purpose when you connect how what you're doing helps someone else. So I love this little to-do list makeover, like look at your to-do list, pick a couple to-dos, maybe like the really annoying ones and ask yourself, who does this help? Like going to the grocery store, who does it help? Well, it helps me nurture my family. Finishing this like annoying presentation, who does it help? Well, it helps my team and then it helps our customers. Just asking yourself that question really shifts you into what's called a pro-social mindset. And when we're in that mindset of contribution versus doing what we have to do, we have a lot more energy, a lot more motivation and a lot more satisfaction. So there's the tour of the five emotional fitness skills. I love your tour. And I love being able to pull it back to science. One of the things that I enjoyed about the journal and your work is that you do focus on what research shows. It's not just like a obligatory feel good, toxic positivity kind of thing. And ironically, I don't know if it was because I was looking up on line for your journal link to pull into the show notes and reading your journal and whatever, but the internet knew and the algorithm knew, and they gave me an ad for, if you're tired of toxic positivity, here's the like, the heck with it all journal. And it was like, here's your venting journal and whatever. And I'm like, 
those things exist. And yes, I get it. Like the toxic positivity piece of a lot of these kinds of gratitude journals doesn't actually help people move into a space of better emotional well-being. Yet at the same time, like you're saying, focusing on the negativity that your brain wants to focus on anyway is not going to put anyone in a better frame of mind. And I know one of the best things that I did for my own well-being was to learn when I'm venting for the purpose of just venting versus like, I am talking about something that's a problem that I want to find a solution for, or I'm looking for closure on something and kind of learning those differences. And it takes self-reflection and doing activities like this in order to catch yourself in those moments and reframe, which is really, I think, another word for your bigger why, right? Like learning how to reframe your thoughts and the importance of that. I think it's, and you touched right on it. That's a like a giant core foundation of my work is that you are not your brain. Like your brain is not always your friend, not because it's being mean, but because the human brain doesn't care about your happiness or well-being. It cares about your survival, which is wonderful, right? I love being alive. It's a wonderful experience. But the human brain only focuses on that. And that's why like, I'm a science geek. I, I read research for fun. But I love understanding how the brain works. If you think about it, your brain is only focused on your survival, which means it's always looking out for possible danger, physical danger, psychological danger. Oh my God, this person looked at me weird. They don't like me. To your brain, that means they might exclude me from the tribe. I might be alone, right? So just learning. So that's what your brain does on its own just left to its own devices. If we just like follow whatever the thought our brain gives us, that's what I used to do. That's a pretty miserable life because think about how many times your brain changes direction. Like it's thinking about this and this and this and everything is becomes a drama and more negative. Again, it's doing that because it's not, it doesn't really care about making you happy. So we have to work with our brain and a big concept in my work and in the journal and in so many of the practices that I share is learning to edit your thoughts, learning to reframe, learning to talk back to your brain, understanding what your brain is thinking and why it's doing this, and then choosing a different way. And it's not like I'm asking you to ignore your brain. It's not possible. I think of a brain as a really small, as a small child. And so my daughter is 19 now, but she used to be a really small toddler. And you know how toddlers are. Like you don't have to have one to know what they're like. They get really distracted. They can throw a tantrum about nothing. They can get really upset about some and and just ignoring them doesn't work. Like when I would ignore my daughter, she would just yell louder. That's your brain. So you want to acknowledge. That's why you were talking about venting. There's a difference between acknowledging your difficult feelings. Like I'm really annoyed or I'm sad or whatever it is and telling a big dramatic story about them, which is not helpful, which just like cements them into like, yeah, my life is really awful. Let me talk about how awful my life is. But it's really important to acknowledge our emotions. That's why like just feel positive or just think positive is it doesn't work. It's on one, we can call it whatever we want, toxic positivity, but it just doesn't work because your brain's like, well, actually, no, this is the thought I'm having. And so that's why I start with acceptance, right? That's why it's It's just a further, it's just a further way to deny that connection to yourself. That's right. right? And And actually it'll just continue to fester because your brain will keep getting upset that you're not acknowledging it. Right. But think about again, a toddler, like my daughter would get really upset. What would really help is when I got on the floor with her and I was like, all right, babes, like, tell me. And she would tell me like the worst thing in the world happened. My shoelace broke and that's it. I'm going to die. The end of my, it's my favorite pink shoelace. And then I would talk to her just like you would talk to your brain be like, 
okay, well, it's probably not the worst thing in the world, right? Because we can get another shoelace. And I understand you're upset because for now we have to use the boring white ones, but you have a conversation and you, but you don't do it from a place of, hey, listen, I don't care about your pink shoelace. It's not really that big of a deal, right? And so we have to learn to work with our brain. That's what that's how I define emotional fitness is I define it as creating a more supportive relationship with yourself, your thoughts, and your emotions. In a supportive relationship, you don't deny what you feel. You don't ignore certain emotions. You don't judge yourself for having them. You acknowledge them. And then you say, what can I do to move forward with less struggle? How can I support myself to move forward with less struggle? I love that example specifically because I recently read, I forget where, about how those lived experiences that our toddlers are having that feel like the end of their life really are the worst things that have ever happened to that child. And when we disregard and when we don't validate feelings or when we belittle, right? Because I think to those of us with emotionally immature parents or whatever, it was a lot of negative kind of reaction that would come from feeling our own feelings. Mm. And so when we then have an experience or an opportunity now with our own children to see how fortunate is my child that the worst thing that's happened to them that feels like the end of the world for them is that their shoelace is broken. Yes. And I think it's an opportunity to reframe also in those moments of like, wow, like my child is literally feeling what feels like the loss of a loved one in this moment. Let me support them through this journey. And so anyway, I love that example that you're giving because I think it relates on a lot of levels. And Part of what you walk uh, people through in the journal are the daily practices that you've mentioned, and they include emotional awareness, self-compassion, gratitude, and again, acceptance, which I think um, is a, a little bit different in practice. Can you talk more about how these intertwine, how they show up in a daily practice? What do they mean? Yes. And it's just pulling the thread of that example. It's learning all the daily practices. It's really learning to acknowledge ourselves, our thoughts, our feelings, how we are, and then supporting ourselves to not just feel better, but also to be better, to operate at our best capacity, right? To bring our best self forward, not from a forced place of like, I have to put on a happy face, but from a place of everybody, you have a lot to contribute. How do you support yourself so that you actually do get to contribute? In my one-on-one -on -one mentorship practice, I work with leaders and executives and business owners and entrepreneurs. And I tell them doing this work will grow your business. Doing this work will help you be a better leader because it helps you to bring your best out into the world, at work, outside of work. And so that's how I really think about the, the daily practices is how do I support myself to bring out my best into everything that I do, right? And it comes again, just like to use our little kid analogy, like it doesn't come from screaming. It doesn't come from like, just do it. I love Nike, but like that just doesn't work. It doesn't come from like, I don't want to hear how you feel. It doesn't come, we can't force ourselves to be at our best. It's the analogy I use is you can't scream at someone to go to sleep. You can't scream at yourself or negative talk yourself into being the burst version of yourself. You have to figure out how to support yourself to get there. 
and how to create the best inner condition. I think a lot about inner atmosphere. Just like the earth has atmosphere, right? We all know our planet has an atmosphere. And the reason that you and I get to have this conversation right now and all of you amazing listeners get to listen is because we have this atmosphere that's keeping us safe on the ground and the gases are not coming in. We all have an inner atmosphere. And I used to spend my whole life in this very tough, like military grade inner atmosphere of do more, not enough, not enough, not enough. Oh my God, you screwed that up, right? I'm sure a lot of people are nodding right now. Like Stacey, you're nodding. And so if you can create, so it's all about creating an inner atmosphere that helps flourish. And so when you acknowledge how you feel instead of denying it, when you focus on things you're grateful for instead of just focusing on things that are wrong, when you think about how what you do has purpose and meaning and how you can do more of that, when you're intentionally kind towards others, when you do things to fuel your energy, you are creating a better inner atmosphere that allows you to flourish. And that's what I feel we are all here to do. I don't think we're all here to get through the day. I hate this rhetoric of like, oh my God, I just got to get through the day or, oh my God, it's Monday. I got to grind it out. That's not the life that we all signed up for. And I'm not saying we don't have hard days. Not at all. I'm human. I have a lot of hard days, but I'm talking about that. I, one of the things I hope this journal and my work does is illuminate for people that they have so much to contribute and that life is really a beautiful, difficult experience and that we can fuel and support ourselves to have an inner atmosphere that allows us to not always be happy or always feel joy, but to feel like we are here on purpose and to feel that sense of aliveness and to feel like we have this supportive person in our head helping us along versus that in our harsh military sergeant yelling at us for not doing all the things we're supposed to. Well, and it contributes to improved well-being, not just emotionally, but physically as well. And you talk about this a little bit in the journal, just pointing out each one of these practices, how it contributes to that, whether it's reducing fear of failure and increasing value and self-worth, whether it's um, building resilience or helping you prepare for whatever is coming. All of these things have been shown in science, in research to reduce the stress on our body, which has been linked in research as like the number one killer, right? Everything related to heart disease, all of these different ailments, the physical ailments are also linked to how emotional we are and not just if we're tapped into our true self, but also are we creating that atmosphere in a place, a homeostasis or whatever we want to call it, so that our body feels safe and can feel like it can rest, it can recover, it can heal both physically and emotionally to be our a better version of ourselves is what I call it, but really an awesome human or whatever it is that we want to phrase. And I think understanding how those relationships work with ourselves, but also with others is incredibly important. One of the things that I made note of in the journal is this idea of when you are trying to initiate self-compassion of asking, would I say to a friend this way that I'm talking to myself and understanding how that overall increases your well-being and learning how to 
be kind to yourself is an easy cliche kind of thing to say, but really like this idea of like, would I talk to myself? Would I talk to my friend how I'm talking to myself in this moment? And I really, one of the things I think is like almost shorthand that I think is powerful to think about is the way that I'm talking to myself, is this going to help me move forward in the best way? Or is this actually just causing me more suffering? And I think it's a really powerful question to ask because when we talk to our friends, that's the thing. We, it's, it's not like, let's say our friend screwed something up or messed something up or made a mistake or failed at something. We don't deny it. We don't like say to our friend, oh my God, no, it didn't happen. Everything's amazing. We don't say that. We're like, oh my God, that really sucks. That's terrible. Or wow, you really screwed that up. But then like we, so we acknowledge there's an honesty there, which is the same self-honesty that's part of self-compassion. But then do we sit and say, wow, you are, you know what? You yelled at your kid. You are a terrible mother. I've been wanting to tell you this for a long time. I think you are the worst mother in the world. Or you launched this program for your business and it didn't work. You know what? I think you should shut it down. I think you're an incompetent entrepreneur. No, like Stacey, you're laughing at me. Of course, we don't say that to our friends because we want to support them to move forward. We want them to learn from their mistakes. We want them to be better. We want them to feel better. But how often with ourselves do we make a mistake and we just pummel ourselves for it? Or we something doesn't work out and we tell ourselves this giant story. Like we go from this thing didn't work out to I'm an incompetent human being. I'm One of my mentorship clients told me she got a really not a great review at work. And she was like, I deserved it. Like I really just... I did not have a great quarter. I deserved it. She's like, but I've just talked myself into this giant corner that basically like I'm awful at everything I do and I can never get another job and that's it. And I said to her, well, are they firing you? She said, nope. I said, did you like get a a plan to improve? She's like, no, it just was not a great review. And she started laughing. She's like, because she's familiar with my practice. She's like, yeah, all I've been doing is just causing myself suffering. I haven't actually improved anything. I haven't actually done a single thing to improve the thing for which I agree I should have, I I got the fair review. That to me is self-compassion right there. And I love this shorthand. And I fall into this too, where you just pause and sit back and say, the way that I'm talking to myself, the story that I'm telling myself, is it helping me to move forward and improve or get better or whatever it is? Or is this just causing me more suffering? And I would add to that, is this setting myself up for a future positive outcome that I want or setting myself up for a negative outcome in terms of more self-shame and whatever, right? Like I think we talk about neuroplasticity and right, like I, I liken it to the Grand Canyon. And when we have these thoughts over and over again, like we're creating this pathway that is so deep that it is impossible to climb out of it. And we Mm -hmm. have to just start saying and putting our thoughts on a different path because otherwise we get sucked deeper and deeper into that like negative mindset of telling myself. I call it the valley of struggle. So you call it the guy like the Grand Canyon (laughs) analogy. We just get into this valley of struggle and that's where we are. That's it. And then when you're in it, as you said, there's actually no future outcome of positive or negative kind because you're just standing still. So yes, I love the Grand Canyon visual. Yeah. Well, I like to leave listeners with something positive, something actionable that they can take to be of service to work either on themselves or with others. 
I'd love if you could share your thoughts on two ideas that I get a lot of listener questions about related to this topic. One is how do you say no to things that drain your energy, which you mentioned earlier, right? I think a lot of people get sucked into this idea of like, to be a good mom, to be a good employee, to be mm. a good neighbor, to do, they need to say yes to these things because people will judge them or because, because, right? But it's draining. And two, how do we turn the monotony and the overwhelm, or as you called, like the burnout that you experienced, how do we turn that into a day where one can prioritize their joy without guilt? The biggest thing is not like, what they need to do. It's that they feel guilty mm, of course. thinking about doing it. Yeah. No, those are two giant things and I'll try to address them briefly, but hopefully on saying no to things, this is actually uh, was a breakthrough for me. Um, and I do think I have a practice for this in the journal, but it's one of, it was a breakthrough for me when I, cause I'm a high, I'm Natalie, I'm a recovering people pleaser. I always, and, and again, if you just nodded, I think it's really important to think about why. And I realized just thinking about it a bunch that I always over-efforted with others because I felt that if I didn't over-effort all the time, then people wouldn't love me. And I think for many of us, that's the issue around saying no, is we forget that our being has worth. We just think that our actions have worth. And so we feel like we, yes, we have to say yes to everything. We have to be there for everyone because that's how people will love us. So I just invite you to marinate on that your being has worth. Think about people you love in your life. Don't you love them even if they're not doing things for you? I love my daughter. She's in college right now. She hasn't done anything for me in a long time, but her being brings giant value to my life. So just think about that because I think it's important to get to the root of it. But one of the, my breakthrough came when I realized that if I say yes to things that drain my energy, I'm saying no to things that are really important to me. And so I actually encourage you to flip the script on setting boundaries and think about you're not saying no to something, you're saying yes to something that's the most important to you. And so if you are you know, being dragged into something or feel obligated to say yes to something that's draining for you, that you have the option to say no. We don't always, but you have the option to say no. I just want you to pause and think about if I say yes to this, I'm going to have less of me to give to what? To my family, to my child, to my craft, to my book, to whatever it is. And it's a really powerful exercise to realize that like, Yes, I'm going to say no, but it's not really saying no. It's saying yes to what is most important to me. And I've taught this mindset shift a lot. And I've had some folks really come out with breakthroughs around the ease of saying no that comes from that because you're realizing you're actually honoring what's most important to you. And in terms of guilt for self-care, this is all too common. I used to, I used to experience it so much. I don't for the most part, but I still sometimes do. Like when my daughter was home from college in the winter for a winter break, I hesitate like to go to paint because like I want to be with her and I feel bad that she's home for a short time. So I get it. And it's a common thing. And the thing I want you to think about is if you do feel guilty doing things for joy for yourself, I want you to realize that we think of ourselves as separate, like me over here, my family over there, my team at work over there. And so we think of it as like, no, no I feel guilty taking time for me. 
I should be spending it on my family or my work or my team, but we're not separate. We're all connected. You share your emotions and your energy with everybody around you. You cannot fake that. There's no cover up for that. Human beings, our emotions are contagious. What does that mean? It means that when I didn't do things to fuel my joy, I shared a lot of stress, a lot of darkness, a lot of snapping, a lot of overwhelm with people I loved, not because I wanted to, but because that's what I had. And when I do fuel my joy, what do I share with others? I share my positive energy, natural positive energy. I share my enthusiasm. I share my light. And so I want you to recognize that you are not separate. And when you do things that bring you joy, you are literally investing in the joy and well-being of everyone around you. There is no way around it, right? And I think that, like, if you think about a great day you had at work or a great day you had with your family, I'm willing to bet you're not going to say, wow, I was really drained those days. I was." You're not going to say that's not true. You had those days when you were fueled. And they were great because you were able to show up at your best. You were able to be there for people you care about in that fullest amazing way that you are. But the only way you can bring that to them is if you take time to fuel your joy and fuel yourself. And so if you get that guilt, just go back to you're not separate from your family. You're not separate from your team. You're not separate from your business or your neighbors or your friends. What you feel, they feel. So think about what is it that I want to bring to them the next time I'm with them. I love that perspective. My response has always been to model it for your children because mm. I think sometimes people have a difficult time doing something for themselves and being willing to do for others, but your response gets to the root of validating yourself versus like doing for others. So, I love that. Listeners, if you want to connect with Natalie Kogan, you can go to happier.com and you can check out the journal that we're talking about is the Awesome Human Journal, a toolkit for the tough days, the good days, and all the days in between. You can find all the links for everything, I'm sure, at your website. Is that correct, Natalie? Yes, we'll it's happy.com or nataliecogan.com. Either way, all the things are there for you. Great. We'll put links in the show notes for you listeners so that it's easier, easy to find. And you can also get all of the podcast episodes delivered to your inbox without ads at patreon.com slash the whole view. It's a great way to support the show, but so is just leaving a review in whatever podcast app that you're listening. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean so much if you said so. Shared the show with whoever it is that you think might benefit from listening. Takes you 30 seconds, but makes a huge difference in our being able to continue to do this work. And as always, we appreciate your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal changes. No one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can choose to become better versions of ourselves for ourselves. Natalie, thank you so much for being here and for sharing with our listeners. It's been great to connect with you. No, I really appreciate it. Thanks for your awesome and very thoughtful questions, Stacey. I really appreciate them. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.